I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome everybody to Lit and Libations. Hi Sadie. Hi Audra. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Um, thanks everyone. Uh, we had a little week break in there. Just some family stuff that happened and we needed mm-hmm. some time. So we appreciate uh, your patience. Hopefully that gave you more time to read the importance of being earnest um, and or watch one of the um, film versions of the play. Uh, so hope that you all got a chance to do that. Um, before we get into our discussion, um, just a reminder that the next book we will be discussing is called uh, Liberty. It's by Caitlin Green Greenidge. Um, really excited about this book. So it's historical fiction. Um, I started it already and I don't want to give away anything, but it's really good. It's based on um, Susan Smith McKinney Stewart, who was the first black female doctor in New York State. Um, and it's about this female uh, black doctor and her daughter. And it's mostly about her daughter, but it's really good. I think this is one of my favorites so far that we've ever read in our podcast. So really excited to talk about it. I can't but, wait. Um, and this, I'm really excited about our discussion because it was nice to read something so funny. We've been kind of heavy uh, lately and, you know, great literature doesn't have to just make you feel sad about the world. It can also (laughs) make you laugh hysterically. So I was really excited about this. Um, But before we get into that, uh, what are you drinking this evening, Sadie? What is your libation? So I'm so happy. I was in Utah this last week. And so while I was there, I picked up some beer that I have not been able to find out here at all. It's from Odell Brewing Company. It's the Sip and Pretty. It's their fruited sour. Oh, nice. And I Oh, I had that two weekends ago. Mm-hmm. My friend and I went to Gracie's and she ordered it and I tried it and it was delicious. And then I got one. Yeah, I love it. I love it. The first time I had it was at a, um, a beer fest up in Idaho. And mm-hmm. I just, I can't find it out here, and it makes me so sad because it's one of my favorites. So I'm glad I picked some up and brought it back with me. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, next time you come to visit, I I need you to bring me some Yingling. Okay. That's like my favorite beer, and you can't get it west of the Mississippi, although I did read that they're going to start distributing it out west. Ooh. Um, and speaking of, this is, I really should why am I getting into this? You have to watch Mayor of Easttown. I told you this when I saw oh. you, but for everybody, watch this on HBO. It is so good. And it made me think of that because she they drink Yingling there in a small Pennsylvania town in the show, and they all are drinking Yingling all the time. And I'm like, oh, I want that <laughs> beer, and I can't get it. I'll definitely bring you some when I come out for July. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. Enough about that. So <laughs> you're drinking your you're sitting pretty, drinking your sipping pretty. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. We're really on the Oscar Wilde track. We're already making puns. Oh yeah. I, man, I'm bad at puns. That was my, my lame attempt. He's the, was, the king of it. It was pretty good. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I'll just have some more confidence with it. Be careful. You may have opened up a can of worms. Um, I really wanted to make a French 75, but mm. I do not have I keep doing this. I need to check the morning of what I have stocked instead of thinking about it later because I did not have uh, any Prosecco because I was going to use that gin that you brought me. Oh, yeah. Um, So I'm drinking a Cupcake Vineyard Sparkling Rosé. It's fine. It's okay. It's just not what I wanted because I thought that would just be perfect for the importance of being earnest. It just feels like an Oscar Wilde drink. Yeah, that does. Um, Yes. But maybe I'll just do that next one because I really want to open up that gin that you brought me. So It's really good. I think you're really going to like it. <laughs> I'm excited. And plus we have, and then I was going to make a gin and tonic, uh-huh. but we have no ice right now. Oh, you can't or, have a G&T without ice. I like ice in my drinks. Me too. So I just needed it and we have to defrost our freezer and make, see if it works again. I don't know. It's a pain in the butt. It's hard not having ice. That is such a bougie thing to complain about. But I hate uh, not having an ice maker. It's really hard. We do not have an ice maker. 
I swear, live? Brian goes and gets a bag of ice like every two days. And it, I mean, good it's, on him. It's you got good a good ice. man there, Sadie. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm really glad I have a, a man with really high ice standards. It's it's very nice. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I the more I learn about Brian, more I love him. <laughs> oh, good. That makes me happy. Yeah. Um. All right. Great. Well, I have a somewhat satisfying drink. Um. You have a very satisfying drink. Yes. It's okay. We're on both ends of the spectrum here. So, <laughs> well, why don't you? So, this book was a suggestion from one of our listeners, um, and it was yeah. your turn to pick. So, maybe if you can give us your little rundown that you've prepared and we can get started. Sure. So, just as a, a quick summary or intro for the play uh, Oscar Wilde's legendary wit dazzles in the importance of being earnest. One of the greatest and most popular works of drama to emerge from Victorian e- England. It is a light-hearted. <laughs> if I can talk today, <laughs> it is a light-hearted satire of the absurdity of all forms and conventions. So it's it's a very funny book, and I just love how much he really takes on like Victorian society and the hypocrisies mm-hmm. of it all. It's just a lot of fun, um, and I also I think one of the most fun things about doing Oscar Wilde is just talking about the author because he's so interesting. So I just wanted to give a little bio for him. Oscar Wilde was born in October of 1854 in Dublin, Ireland. He is most known for his novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray, and his plays, especially his biggest triumph on the stage, The Importance of Being Earnest. Known to many as a genius, poet, and comic, Oscar Wilde was a major advocate and spokesman for the 19th century aesthetic movement. He advocated art for art's sake, insisting on its amoral nature. His literary legacy is towering, but I would be remiss not to mention his status as an icon of the LGBTQ movement. Wilde questioned the constraints of Victorian society not only through his work but in his life, paying the price when he was ultimately tried in civil and criminal suits for homosexuality, which landed him in prison for two years doing difficult, hard labor near the end of his life. Wilde died in November of 1900, and the work he completed in the last decade of his life cemented him as a social and cultural giant. In 2017, Wilde was one of 50,000 men pardoned for homosexuality under the Alan Turing Law or the Policing and Crime Act of 2017 in England. So yeah, Oscar Wilde is, of course, an icon. He's one of the greatest artists who, of the time period, who was actually kind of explicit with Mm -hmm. his interests and, you know, he he was just a giant and obviously I'm so glad that, you know hundreds of years hundred of hundred years later he was pardoned for just being who he was and I just really yeah. look up how to nice Oscar to be Wild. accepted yeah yeah and I um I know that the play was first I think it was done I think it was 1895 when it was performed and it was really successful but apparently the Marquis of Queensbury her son uh, he was some lord, was mm-hmm. Oscar Wilde's lover mm-hmm. and she wanted to disrupt the play I, I can't remember what she was going to do She's going to do something to disrupt the play. Oscar Wilde found out and he refused to let her in. Yeah. So she wasn't allowed to come see the play. Um, and then I think she took him to court. And that's part of like, that's when it was like revealed in court, like that he was a homosexual and then he was sentenced to imprisonment. Like there were more things that happened, but that was kind of some of the chain of events. And yeah. so I think it's interesting that, you know, it maybe it's too much into it, but the, the play is really about kind of a little bit I think being true to yourself like you know they're pretending to be different people and it's interesting that he you know he was trying to he was who he was and got imprisoned for it because of Victorian morality so it's kind of interesting how even though the play doesn't have like this big social message Mm -hmm. um, it's really just kind of fun and humorous and really great dialogue but it it doesn't really seem to be putting together like there's this really important social message like yeah I think there are there are in ways but like I think the point of it was was to be funny and you know a little bit of farce and point things out and poke fun at yourself and people and but yet it really tied into such important important things and and into a really important social message so it's just awesome that his work has lived on so long after his death and continues to like just be so important. Like that's one of the things I love about literature is 
its far-reaching effects, even ones that maybe weren't intended. Yeah. And he was such a fighter, too, for, um, like, fighting against censorship, you know? Like, I loved mm-hmm. how he really believed that art was not never wrong or right. It was just what done well or it wasn't. And right. It's either good or it's bad. Yeah. yeah. There's no right or wrong. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, there was especially with the pic- the picture of Dorian Gray, there are so many different like versions of that because he was mm-hmm. so criticized and censored really due to some of its more homoerotic themes. And you know, I just love that he kind of he constantly is criticizing the society that he's in in such a wonderful yes. way. You know, like he puts on this play, The Importance of Being Earnest, which the whole time is like poking fun at high society and questioning it. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, a play that's being put on for high society and, you know, they can right. still enjoy it, but they can still see, I don't know, like the hidden messages. And I think that's what makes, you know, comedy so interesting is when it does something like that. Yeah. And I think that's part of art's job is to criticize society you know is to point out um things is to keep us grounded and humble like that's kind of I think part of its job um especially when it's done well um and he does a great job of it I mean I started you know I read this a long time ago I shouldn't say a long time ago but it was I read this in high school and so then this time I was marking every time I found this like great line I started to mark it and then I'm like it's like the whole damn book I know like I know I can't. it's <laughs> like, like three so... three short acts of just pure genius pure like great lines one right after the other the whole yeah. thing I wouldn't take out a single line of this play it's so perfect it's it's just hilarious like how they interact okay maybe we should go through the cast because it's not a huge cast of characters which is nice too I love how contained it is like yeah because yeah. it's really all just dialogue. It's just, it's so contained. Um, so there's John Worthing, mm-hmm. Algernon Moncrief. Yes. Is that how we say it? Yeah. Um, the Reverend Chasble, Merriman, Lane, love Lane. Uh, every time <laughs> Lane speaks, did you ever watch the show The Nanny? No. Like, you're probably too young for it, but it's with like Fran Drescher and she's this like, woman from Queens that becomes a nanny to like this like really rich British guy and his kids and there's a British butler in in it and I can't remember the actor's name he's great but I always like picture him when I'm like reading Lane for some reason because it's just that same (laughs) kind of dry yeah wit and it's like yes I'm your servant but really (laughs) I'm above you like it's kind of just this yes interesting role Lane plays um and then there's Lady Bracknell she's also awesome yeah uh, and then Gwendolyn, Cecily, and Miss Prism. Am I missing anyone? Um, no, I think That's everyone. there's like Mr. Grisby, but he's a solicitor and he's in it for a very short period of time. So I think right. you got pretty yeah. much everyone important. Um, and of course, as you read, of course, John Worthing and Algie Alternon are both called Ernest at various Ernest. times through the novel. Yes. And yes. oh my gosh, I just really love this play. It's just so funny. I, yeah. So I don't know. Should we give like a gist? Hopefully all of you read it or watched the movie, but yeah. maybe like, a, yeah. why don't you give us a little, here's the gist of it. So the play is very neat. There are three acts and each act takes place in a pretty small space or environment, but it starts off with Algernon and John in London, I think. And John Worthing is this gentleman. He has a country house, and he really divides his time amongst the country and the town. And when he goes to town, he adopts a personality called Ernest, which he, you know, in the country blames, says he has a younger brother named Ernest. And that's how he kind of avoids his social responsibilities back at home yes and then Algernon kind of does the same thing he has a invalid friend named Bunbury Bunbury that every time he wants to get out of something he says that his friend Bunbury is ill and he must get to him immediately where is that dialogue I've got to find it real quick between um between Algernon and uh is it the part where he um it's where the, he's talking with his aunt and she uh-huh. it's like oh with lady bracknell um and she's hold on i'll find it keep giving us the okay the gist all right so they both have the these kind of double lives basically that they're they're in and john worthing 
is in love with Gwendolyn Fairfax. She is the daughter of Lady Bracknell. And he he's just in love with her, but she knows him as Ernest. And she is convinced that she could never love him by any other name, that she first fell in love with him solely because his name is Ernest. Um, he's in love with her, but Lady Bracknell is not into their relationship because Jack's unknown birth. He's found in a train station. Algernon is kind of a a classic dandy of a character. He's like exceptionally well dressed. He's very witty, mm-hmm. but he also he get, likes to get into trouble. He's a bit of a rascal. And he just really wants to go to John's country house to meet Cecily, his ward. And so he takes on the persona of Ernest in order to do that. <laughs> and the the play really just talks a lot about marriage and then a lot about social constraints and uh systems that we have like marriage and mm-hmm. I, I just think and it's all the rules all the like rules all the societal rules yeah and also just like the absurdity of it all I think that's something that's so obvious in it like just how absurd these characters are and the in the things that they say and like what they consider moral versus what they don't and just none of it kind of makes sense. The whole time I was reading it, it almost felt like I was under in Wonderland because everything seemed topsy turvy as far as uh, mm-hmm. like morals go. You know, like right. It's just it's so good. I could talk a lot about it, but that's kind of the gist: is that they're they both are leading these double lives. They both want to marry these women. But there are various barriers in their way, and they just kind of have to overcome all of these weird societal bar- barriers to get what they want. And it's yes. just kind of funny. And, the, and it wraps it wraps up so neatly. Like, it's such yeah. a nice, like, it, it just wraps up so neatly and quickly. Like, you know, so they're, they have these different identities and they kind of get caught up in trouble because of that. And it almost mm-hmm. seems like it's going to prevent them from being with the people that they love. But then, like, you find out that, so Gwendolyn says, you know, I can only, they have this great interaction at the beginning. I think it's in the first act of the play about why she loves the name Ernest and why she is in love with him because she thinks his name is Ernest and just how she couldn't love someone named Jack. Like it's just this hilarious exchange and she's still insisting on that, you know, at the end of the play, but then Lady Bracknell informs Jack that as he was the firstborn, he would have been named after his father. And then Jack like goes and kind of researches about his name and learns that like he was in fact Ernest and so his name is Ernest, really. And like this fake thing he was putting on was really reality. And then now everyone's happy together. And like it's kind of even funny in that, like that they have this happy ending, like that it wraps up so neatly. Right. Like that in of itself, I think, is this satire. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. here was the problem. How can you possibly have a different name than what you have? How can you possibly, how can this farce become a reality? But then it is, and everyone's happy. Like, well, but if it's you, just hilarious. if like we watched the movie with Colin Firth and, um, yes. And, uh, Judy Dench and all those. And in the movie they make it. So he made it up. He like looks up his name and he makes it up that it's Ernest and then just like tosses the book aside. And, Oh, that's right. I, I don't know if that's what he does in the play. I've never seen. I guess it's your interpretation. Yeah. But either way, it's just really funny. And it also kind of makes me think, cause there's this really great line where they talk about fiction and Cecily is talking to her governess and she says something about how um, she hopes that it wasn't a happy ending or something. And Oh, right. And she says, I know which one you're talking about. And then uh, Miss Prism says something about how it's happy for like the good people, but it's bad (laughs) for the bad people. And that's what makes it, and that's what makes it fiction. So it's like yeah. she's kind of saying that it's only in fiction that that would happen. So when they get this happy ending at the end, it's like, oh, is it because they're, they're really kind yeah, of bad it's people? When, it's when Miss Prism's talking about how she wrote a, a book, like a three-chapter book, and she want, and Cecily wants to know how it ends. Um, yeah, she says, uh, Cecily says, did you really, Miss Prism, how wonderfully clever you are. I hope it did not end happily. I don't like novels that end happily. They depress me so much. <laughs> Miss Prism, the good ended happily and the bad unhappily. That is what fiction means. <laughs> like, it's so good. But I found I found the interaction, like, that's the thing. I, I feel like half this podcast is going to be just us reading these lines out because they're just so good. I know. Like, 
like especially going back to when they talk about the names, you know, and um, and he says, you don't really mean to say that you couldn't love me if my name wasn't Ernest, right. you know, and she's like, but your name is Ernest. And he's like, yes, but what if it was something else? And he says, um, he says, I must say, I think there are lots of m- other much nicer names. I think Jack, for instance, a charming name, which is his real name. And she says, Jack? No, there is very little music in the name Jack, if any at all, indeed. It does not thrill. It produces absolutely no vibrations. <laughs> I have known several Jacks, and they all, without exception, were more than usually plain. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. And then, like, immediately he's like, I need to get christened. Like, I need to kind of make an absurdity of this cultural institution that is the church, because yes. all of it's absurd. And I just, it's so funny. It's so funny. Well, and then speaking of funny, the interaction that I was trying to find earlier, so it's with Algernon and Lady Bracknell, and she has wanted, she wants him to come to dinner at her house that night. Like she's having Mm. a dinner party Mm -hmm. and he doesn't want to. And so he enacts Bunbury. So he says, you know, I'm afraid I have to give up the pleasure of dining with you. She says, I hope not. That will put my table completely out, which is also funny. Like, it's not even that she really cares about his company. She cares because it's going to put the number of people at her table different. And it messes, you know, because you have to have a certain number of people and they have to be seated a certain way. Mm -hmm. And this is how you like and you need to have these people by these people to have conversations like the rule. You know, it's like the Emily Post and the rules of this is so ridiculous that she doesn't even care about like, oh, I'm going to miss you. It's like, ugh, it's going to put my table off like. Yeah. That's the big issue. Um, She says, your uncle would have to dine upstairs. Fortunately, he is accustomed to that. Algernon says, it is a great bore, and I need hardly say a terrible disappointment to me. But the fact is, I have just had a telegram to say that my poor friend Bunbury is very ill again. (laughs) They seem to think I should be with him. Lady Bracknell says, it is very strange. This Mr. Bunbury seems to suffer from curiously bad health. (laughs) It's like, okay. And then he says, yes, poor Bunbury is a dreadful invalid. And she says, well, I must say, Algernon, that I think it is high time that Mr. Bunbury made up his mind whether he was going to live or die. This shilly shallying with this question is absurd, nor do I in any way approve of the modern sympathy with invalids. I consider it morbid. Illness of any kind is hardly a thing to be encouraged in others. Health is the primary duty of life. I'm always telling that to your poor uncle, but he never seems to take much notice as far as any improvement in his ailment goes. I should be much obliged if you would ask Mr. Bunbury from me to be kind enough not to have a relapse on Saturday, for I rely on you to arrange my music for me. It is my last reception, and one wants something that will encourage conversation, particularly at the end of the season, when everyone has practically said whatever they had to say, which in most cases was probably not much. <laughs> like, she's, that's just stellar. Like, it's so good. And, and he says, I'll speak to Bunbury if he's still conscious. And I think I can promise you he'll be all right by Saturday. <laughs> like, so it's like, they're just, they're just shining light on this absurdity. Yeah. Like, it's like, everyone knows what everyone's doing, but we won't talk about it. Right. Kind of. Well, it's I, for me, it just like points out just like rich people problems, like what they think. Like, you know, that they think that people right. just have all these choices. Like, I, th- I think it's so funny <laughs> when she's talking about how Jack, like, lost his parents. And she said, oh, both? Right. She says, to lose one parent may be regarded as a misfortune, <laughs> but to lose both seems like carelessness. I know. Like, like it's just, let me tell you, every line. And this is all just in the first act still. I like, know. We haven't even touched the rest. Oh. Yeah. It, I love it. And I, I also love how, like... There seems to be, um, I love how he's pointing out, like, willful ignorance. Like, that they are very aware of their position and what things would do. Like, I love when um, she asks if he knows anything. She said, a man who desires to get married should know either everything or nothing. Which do you know? And he says, I know nothing. And she said, I am pleased to hear it. I do not approve of anything that tampers with natural ignorance. Ignorance is like a delicate exotic fruit. Touch it and the bloom is gone. The whole theory of modern education is radically unsound. Fortunately, in England, at any rate, education produces no effect whatsoever. If it did, it would prove a serious danger to the upper classes and probably lead to acts of violence in Grosvenor Square. Grosvenor Square. 
<laughs> like it's just she knows exactly what would happen if like yes they gave the lower classes an inch you know but it's this mm-hmm. willful ir- ignorance it's this putting ignorance on a pe- pedestal because that's what keeps their position there and I just love how Oscar Wilde plays with all that because this is yes. a lot of the society that he you know was introduced to like he's he's definitely I think talking about a society that he knows and understands how it operates and that's part of what makes it so funny oh exactly I love you know what and I love too uh, how he writes the women yes like I love how I love it I love their voice I love how I love especially how he has Gwendolyn and Cecily interact like at the end of the play Mm -hmm. so you know Jack and Algernon are kind of like in trouble a little bit because all this is coming to light what's going on and um the third act starts with Gwendolyn and Cecily and when we finish the second act um Algernon and Jack were like basically lamenting and eating muffins (laughs) (laughs) they're eating these muffins and they're like lamenting about the situation and so Gwendolyn and Cecily are sitting together at the window looking out onto the garden so they can see I believe Jack and Algernon And Gwendolyn says, the fact that they did not follow us at once into the house, as anyone else would have done, seems to me to show that they have some sense of shame left. Cecily says, they have been eating muffins. That looks like repentance. (laughs) Then Gwendolyn says, they don't seem to notice us at all. Couldn't you cough? Cecily, but I haven't got a cough. Gwendolyn, they're looking for us. What a front effrontery. Cecily, they're approaching. That's very forward of them. Gwendolyn, let's preserve a dignified silence. Like, I just love how they kind of like unite a little bit in their interaction and I think he just writes such smart funny women to match up with his smart funny men and yes like Lady Bracknell is great and so I really that's just so nice and especially from that time period um, yes to have that is is great they're very like fresh. they're so fun there's they're very fresh yes. they're not um I don't know they're just as funny and witty as we see mm-hmm. Jack and Algernon be. Especially, like, yes. and I also like how, um, I feel like Wilde plays a lot with, uh, like, forwardness versus um, kind of what people hide just by social graces, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love how Cecily and Gwendolyn are always kind of walking that line, but they are still candid with each other in a very hilarious way. Like when they're both confused about who Ernest is, right? They're both engaged (laughs) to Ernest. Um, And, you know, Quentin says, finds out that Cecily is Mr. Worthing's ward and they all think they're talking about Ernest. And she says, if I may speak candidly, and Cecily says, pray do. I think that whenever one... (laughs) Whenever one has anything unpleasant to say, one should always be quite candid. And then she says, well, to speak with perfect candor, Cecily, I wish you were a fully 42 and more than unusually plain for your age. (laughs) I know, like, they're just, it's just so, even though they're in these foolish situations, they never come off as fools. Crap, yeah, yeah. Like, like this is all such a silly situation, but they never seem silly. And I think that oftentimes women got written as silly you know they or frivolous you know or like yes that's um, a good way to describe it silly or frivolous or or inactive you know in any way Mm -hmm. but I feel like Gwendolyn and Cicely even though the whole situation is quite absurd they they are very active and they will voice their opinions and you know like they're it's so funny how they take charge of the relationships in a lot of ways like especially Cicely with um Algernon you know she she they both have very like imaginative minds right they both kind of like mm-hmm. look at the world like art she's constantly in her imagination he kind of just bounds around life making things up and creating the world he wants in a lot of ways right. and never out of like the hope to hurt anybody but just in a no there's no malice there's no like, malice there really is yeah. no malice in any of the characters even though some of their behaviors not great but right there's there's no no malice in it exactly but um the part where she he proposes to her and she's like of course we're getting married we've been engaged for three months because she's just making (laughs) it up you know and she wrote these huge fantasies in her not in her diary and reads them out to him and I love the part where 
um, she talks about how they broke it off and he's just like, I just can't believe that you broke it off. I'm so offended that you <laughs> broke up with me in this fantasy world of yours. And it's the, it's just so clever and funny. And she just takes charge of the relationship in a lot of ways. And whether mm-hmm. it's with her imagination or how she treats him when she actually meets him, um, it's just really refreshing and, and fun. And it was really fun to watch on in the movie too. I watched, yes. I watched the movie last night with Brian and, um, I, he's, you know, he's not usually into period pieces, but I think he got five minutes into this movie and he was like, this is one of the funniest movies. He was laughing his ass off. It was so cute. Oh, good. Well, we brought up, we were talking about it when you were in town because it's the only movie I've seen Colin Firth in that I actually like Colin Firth. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Cause I never understood it before. And Brian pointed out how much you like Colin Firth. Um, <laughs> I think I so inherited was, that from my mother. I think it's genetic. <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, I I see I see the charm now after <laughs> watching him in this. But uh, yeah, it's a re- that's a really good. That's the only one I watched of it. I want to mm-hmm. see more versions. Um, it's just so fun to watch people talk about it. I know there was one, and maybe it wasn't a movie. I know Stockard Channing was in. Oh. Uh, oh yeah, let me look it up. Hold on. Yeah, she. She did it in a play, so she wasn't in a movie. But, I mean, there's just been so many great, which makes sense. Like, I feel like you could watch so many different versions of it because his language is so awesome because there's so many different ways you can deliver Mm -hmm. how they're speaking. Like, I was researching about it and, you know, the line, so when Lady Bracknell's talking to to, um, Jack about his parents and his parentage and you know, him being an orphan and he talks about he was found in a handbag and I guess where she just says a handbag, apparently like there's just been so many different interpretations of how to say that line mm-hmm. and every single one is funny. Like there's one where, you know, delivers it just with incredulity and then there's one where it's just this hushed whisper and like there was like all this, these pages about these interpretations of that one line. Mm-hmm. Like that's awesome. It's two words and to just have it have such an impact just by how you say it like he's just so great for that's why I really am glad we did this not just picture of Dorian Gray because I think that novel is awesome but I think it's so fun that he was able to write something that is such a fun story but then it just continues to have these cool iterations depending on how you deliver and like Mm -hmm. his puns and his use of language is just awesome like yeah it seems so like easy but I couldn't I mean who can do that like yeah. it's just he's amazing I mean it's it's some of the funniest and punniest playwriting mm-hmm. that I've read since Shakespeare's comedies to me anyway yeah like it's just really really funny and I I love that about Oscar Wilde too is that he's so um multifaceted like I think he really was a genius to be able to do a comedy of like this caliber and then yeah. also to write the picture of Dorian Gray which is much more gothic in nature you know and dark um it's just incredible that he could create two things of this yeah his range yeah his range Mm -hmm. is incredible i think if you were to look if you were to give two people i think who didn't know who oscar wilde was or that he wrote both and you were to present them with both works i think that but they would have a hard time guessing it was by the same person sure in a lot of ways sure and i that's i think what makes it fun and I also like the amorality of this play like there's no yeah there's a lot of duplicitous things going on as far as like them leading a double life and like lying about so many things but again it's not malicious it's just it's just good fun to look at and sure there are criticisms and everything but there's not this big moral question or you know secret pasts really that are like hitting you over the head like so many mm-hmm. other stuff was at the time. Like it felt, it felt like for a while there, like especially Victorian culture, it was like a moral was necessary. Yes, exactly. I mean, and he, he points out the hypocrisy in other people. Like he almost, mm-hmm. so here's Jack and Algernon who are, who are being deceptive, right? Like they're, um, they're, they're being deceptive with people, which isn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, their bad behavior really I don't think is as much as the focus as the things that society does that seem on the surface like they're good 
but really are kind of hypocritical. Like I think, you know, he's pointing out the hypocrisy in a lot of um, society's rules and how we talk about things mm-hmm. through these characters that on the surface seem like they're doing bad behavior. But to me, that's not as bad as, you know, some of this hypocrisy. It's kind of like they're, and yeah. I think partly because they're so open with each other about it. Like I love the conversations Jack and Algernon have with each other. Cause they kind of like are holding each other accountable, calling each other out, but yet almost helping each other with these deceptions too. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're like almost teaming on this. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. I love how it's, it's almost like society sets them up for this uh-huh. hypocrisy. Like, you know, the fact that Jack doesn't feel like, cause I think Jack is probably the most hypocritical of the characters cause he really puts on kind of a show either way. Um, mm-hmm. and you see that especially in like the movie with just even the way he dresses and everything. Yes. And, um, I, you know, but right, like when he dresses in his funeral garb. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's sad that he can't be both people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's sad that he can't Uh be or feel like the same person um, in either sphere of his life. You know, like, things are so strict in that way, but also so meaningless because of the level of importance that they put on it. Like, like like the christening. Like, it's such an important part of religious culture at the time, but they put so much importance on it that, you know, at the end, it is meaningless that they get christened, you know, like Algernon is so funny. Mm-hmm. He knows he's been christened and Jack is giving him a hard time about that. But he's like, but it has, it's been years since I've been christened, right. you know, and it's traditionally a once in a lifetime thing. And I think also like the emphasis on marriage is like a social construct that's super necessary, but also super meaningless if, you know, like Lady Bracknell says, if the women don't find out they're engaged and like it's a surprise, you know, like surprise, right. you're engaged to this person you've mm-hmm. never met. I don't believe in quick engage. I don't believe in long engagements because heaven forbid you get to know the person you're marrying, marrying before you get married. Right. That, you know, that to me, like undermines or devalues the meaning of marriage. And it's just funny how he's playing with the importance of these things, but also how the stress of those things make them less important and less meaningful. Yes. Well, I mean, and, and that's the, the the whole nature of marriage is a huge part of, of the play. You know, is it a matter of business or pleasure? And, you know, Lady Bracknell basically is interviewing potential candidates. And, mm-hmm. and it's not even just the interviewing that's funny. It's like the questions that are asked, you know, the it's so focused on everything that that you know the victorian culture considered respectable your social position your income and then your character like mm-hmm. kind of in, in that order you know and like um it is it pleasant or unpleasant like marriage how we come to the idea of marriage like yeah it's just kind of funny that's um like lane the servant you know he i think he that's where he brings up it was a pleasant state and says that things were great and then he got involved something between himself and a young person mm-hmm. and you're kind of like left with just that and then um uh sorry i just heard something weird in my ear did you hear that yeah what was that that had to have just been our connection our facetime connection or something sorry people we had a weird little <laughs> moment there and i couldn't let it go it tripped me out sorry about that Um, But anyway, yeah, the whole thing about marriage and his views on it. And I think it's interesting because I think when you start reading it, I interpret it as this incredibly cynical view of marriage. And um, but I I don't know, I kind of choose to interpret that there's definitely that he's presenting both sides of it. But I mean, Algernon um, is really cynical until he meets and falls in love with Cecily. Mm -hmm. So I think that the idea of marriage maybe is poked at, but love isn't. And so I think it's you know, can make the point that if the marriage is more about love than all the other things that go into marriage, then it's okay. But mm-hmm. you can have the opposite. You can have where marriage isn't really about the love. And that's kind of what he's poking at. Yeah. And I'll, I'm like, I, and I agree. And I think he's poking at the way we treat like prospective partners in a way like are we treating people more like livestock in a way like especially Cecily like she's not worth anything to Lady Bracknell until she finds out about her inheritance 
And then it's like she's the most ideal woman in the world right. to her. And, you know, that's obviously coming from her perspective, not Algernon's perspective. I think he's very much in love with um, her wit. And the. I think they both view life art in an artistic way. Like Yes, they're very similar. Like they both created their own lives. Yeah. Like they both are artists in that they created... I mean, he created Bumbering, you know, and mm-hmm. she like created this whole life and story. Like they, they very much are similar that way. They're they're artists, um, and so yeah, that's definitely their connection. I think, and I think that they're representative of Oscar Wilde, yeah. you know, and his partners. Like, you know, he surrounded himself the people that he cared for, but you know, they were other artists. They had to make their own lives too. Like, I mean, even just him as a homosexual man had to mm-hmm. like create thing like you just you have to live a certain way and mm-hmm. that I think finding other people that live that way that that's your obvious connection right there yeah I agree but I do think I do think that there's I think it ends with a little bit of cynicism you know when Gwendolyn uh she forgives she forgives um Jack but like she thinks that she'll be able to change him. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And I think that that's a common, you know, oh, well, I, I don't like this about the person, but I'll get them to change or they'll change for me. And I think that that's something that a lot of people think and go through. And I don't think that's really possible Yeah. Um, in the way people think it is. And so I think, you know, Wilde's kind of pointing that out <laughs> yeah. as a way to, to poke at it. Yeah, I definitely think that... Um I just, I can, I view Cecily and Algernon's relationship as a more, uh, like a better starting point for a marriage, you know, than I Mm -hmm. do Jack and Gwendolyn. And I think maybe also because I feel like Jack is the more hypocritical of the two men. Like, I think he, he bounces from, I think, wider extremes versus Algernon always just kind of like, you're never guessing really who he is yeah his personality really doesn't change it's just Mm -hmm. that he has an excuse to get himself out of things well and if you think about it too even the deception that they've created so you know Algernon he has this deception of Bunbury but like Jack fabricates a brother Mm -hmm. who then says he dies like and we know that it's fake but like his family doesn't you know Mm -hmm. like you know Cecily and Miss and like so he you know he makes them really sad for no reason. Like, right. so you can almost argue that he's a little more morally bankrupt. You know, I mean, like Algernon makes up all these stories, but who does it really hurt? Like his, his aunt doesn't have enough people at her dinner table. Like he's not actually creating pain and same with Cecily, you know, they just make up these stories, but they're not, they're not doing anything that's truly hurting anybody. They're just going against like social mm-hmm. norms. Mm-hmm. And I think that, it's like wild, you know, he, he wasn't nothing uh, pointing out the things that he was in trouble for, that he was arrested for all those, he wasn't hurting anybody mm-hmm. like as single person. And so I think he's, you know, it's a way it's pointing out the things that we choose to say are immoral or people get upset about, or you get in trouble about right. those things that are really hurting people versus, you know, that, that aren't and what we decide to punish. And sometimes we punish people for doing nothing wrong. And then there's these other people that live, I mean, you could go on and on about that, the things that we choose right. to incarcerate people for and not just based mm-hmm. on what we consider more moral or more immoral, I should say. Right. And, you know, I think what Jack considers moral and immoral is always such a confusing line. And like, yeah, it fluctuates you know, a lot. Like he gets so, I mean, not really like so upset because nobody gets like angry in this play, really. You know, it's mm-hmm. all very sure. light. But, you know, he calls... Uh, Algernon ungentlemanly for looking at his cigarette case and like oh, right. a, a real gentleman wouldn't read another yeah. gentleman's cigarette yeah. case or something like that <laughs> yeah. yeah so it's like okay that's a line for him but right making up a brother and like forcing people that to then mourn, dies yeah <laughs> is that's okay um it, it's just yeah it is interesting to kind of see I think I think Jack is the most hypocritical, probably, of the characters. Although, if you watch the movie, Lady Bracknell really gives him a run for his money uh, because she does. They make her. They definitely hint more at her history in the movie. I think with flashbacks yeah. of her being 
a dancer who gets pregnant. Yeah, you can tell that there was definitely a point of view from this director and yeah. whatever on the movie that um, I think is really strong versus what's in the play, but I can see why it would lend that way. Yeah, and like there's definitely grounds for it. And, yes. um, and I think that, yeah, like, and having a film setting obviously lends itself to more freedom with those interpretations than a stage production. Mm-hmm. So he can flip back and forth between time or have little like memories in their head. You know, like when she, she talks about how she married her husband and how she would make sure nothing got in her way and kind of a thing. And then we flash back and we find out that without the words being said that she was a dancer, she got pregnant and she made sure he married her. <laughs> and right. it's just, and then of course she imposes all of these really strict ideals on candidates for her daughter and, and for her nephew and everything. Um, which is really Did you know that the, in the flashback, the girl that plays her daughter, that's Judy Dench's daughter in real life. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's so fun. It, apropos of nothing, but I learned that and I was like, oh, that's cool. I love that. Oh, yeah. That's so great. Um, you know, what was really funny is I watched the movie for the first time since I was like, I want to say like 10 or 11 years old. Because when did it come out? It was in the 2000s, Two, right? 2002. Like 2002. Late 90s, early 2000s. Okay, yeah. 2002. 2002. And I watched it for the first time since I was really young. And I did not realize as a young lady, young child, how much <laughs> sexual innuendo is in this play. Oh, Lord. Everywhere. It's so funny. And I didn't realize it until this time. And I was just laughing my ass off reading and watching the movie um especially between Cecily and Algernon and um Miss Prism and uh Mr. like Dr. Chasuble the priest guy mm-hmm. um yeah it's so fun and again I think that does play on how the actors decide to to do those words you know like play those mm-hmm. lines but I loved the part where um, Altron like asks her to reform him and she says I don't have any time this afternoon and he says well do you mind if I reform myself this afternoon and you know <laughs> right right and she <laughs> says I think that would be best and you know like to me that was just so clearly like sexual that it's just really funny. oh yeah well I think there's a lot of like subtext about homosexuality yeah um I don't think it's I don't think there's a ton, but I think you can, you can see it. And I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that was Oscar Wilde's life, you know, was kind of living a double life. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's something that's familiar for a lot of people who, who are gay or um, bisexual or just hiding who they are. Just that, you know, it's, it's told in a very funny way here with, you know, I have a friend named Bunbury and mm-hmm. a brother Ernest, but they're living double lives. I, I would say Jack more so. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and that's that's something that's really real for people who are homosexual. I mean, it was real for Oscar Wilde. He had a wife. He had yeah. He had two yeah. kids, and he also yeah. had fairly open homosexual relationships with multiple men. And I think you could definitely say that he lived in ways. I mean, he lived a very open life for the time, but it's still a double life. He still had that, you know. Yeah, straight-looking life from from the outside, you know, and then yeah, for sure. Underneath it all was this, you know, really incredible uh, queer culture that was going on at the time, hidden, you know, underground in a lot of ways that he was involved in, and it's I, I do think that he's definitely thinking about those things when he writes about a double life here as well. Yeah, I agree. Like, even if it's not necessarily something he was putting in there specifically as, like, subtext, I think just because of who he was and how he lived his life, um, it's there. But, yeah, yeah, it's great. I loved it, and I loved the the movie. It's, I think they performed it really well. (laughs) Sorry, I just sneezed. That's the first time I've ever done that on the podcast. (laughs) It's okay. There's a first I've always been stressed about that. There's a first time for everything. 
Yeah, I'm human. I sneeze. <laughs> oh. Oh, I was just always really stressed about that. I'm like, what if I can't stop coughing or I can't stop <laughs> sneezing? Well, that happened. Well, you made it well, like 13, 14 episodes in before it happened. So I think you're doing pretty, pretty well. Thanks. I think so. Like, I think we've done pretty well so far. If any of you are listening, you can tell us if we haven't. If you're like, oh, every now and then I hear a drink clinking sometimes when I re-listen to our episodes. Yeah. I've noticed that, but that's okay. It's lit and libations. Yeah, exactly. We're drinking. That's kind of the brand. <laughs> that's kind of the point. That's kind of why we picked it. <laughs> we didn't want to just read. Cool. Uh, well, I thought this was a great suggestion. This was a really nice palate cleanser. I agree. Like we've we've been re- reading and discussing some like I think heavy stuff and yeah. some really affecting stuff, which is one of my favorite parts about literature. Is it really makes you wrestle with things that maybe we can avoid Mm -hmm. um in our just normal everyday lives but literature is also funny as hell and Mm -hmm. fun and you know I think this was awesome and it was really great I think it was the perfect timing so thank you tell me again who suggested this it was Mason Archibald yeah so thank you Mason because this was great really needed and I don't think I would have ever thought to go with Oscar Wilde so I agree but yeah so is there anything else that you wanted to bring up about about the play I mean there's so much in there but no I think I think I said everything I wanted to say yeah me too well I'm really excited for next time um like I said we're going to be discussing Liberty by Caitlin Greenidge and I've not finished it yet but I'm about halfway through and guys this is one of my favorite books that we've discussed so far it's just I I love it so much it's so great um and this is new I think it came in um I think it came out this year. This is her second novel. Her first novel came out in 2016. I'll have to look up again when this one was published, but um, really good. Really excited to talk about it, Um, and we should be back again next week, so I don't anticipate us having a week off. So thank you all again for your patience. We really appreciate you listening. Um, Mm -hmm. If you have any suggestions or anything you'd like to say feel free to send us a message or an email um, we'd love to hear from you yeah and feel free to leave a review as well on apple podcasts and share with your friends it really helps getting us out there we'd appreciate yes. to hear what you have to say well this was really fun um thanks again mason and thanks sadie talk to you later thanks audra bye